Welcome to Pomcast. This podcast is sponsored by La Bien Amy. La Bien Amy is a small yarn company founded by Amy in 2015. Each skein is dyed with love in their studio in Paris, France. Amy and Hiroko work together to bring you a balance of sophistication and colour play in every skein of La Bien Amy. See them at Edinburgh Yarn Festival, where they will debut an Edinburgh Yarn Festival palette and two new bases, La Bien Amy Merino Silk Singles and La Bien Amy Merino Twist. Plus, they'll have lots of sweater quantities of Amy's sweater on Merino DK, which was used for the Melly sweater in the latest spring issue of Pom Pom. Oh, I bought that. That's great. Hey. Hey. Check them out at labianemi.com and on Instagram at labianemi. Hi, and welcome to POMCAST, live from Unravel Festival. Hooray! Hooray! Lofi and Slythia. <laughs> There's a spoonerism to start the show. <laughs> I'm Lydia, and I'm here with Sophie. Hey! As I am every month uh, for POMCAST, the podcast brought to you by Pom Pom Quarterly. And as Sophie already said, we are live, at, uh, coming to you live from Unravel Festival. Yes. So, first disclaimer, there's a bit of background noise, but if you hear people laughing, people chatting, that's just the kind of vibe you're going to find at Unravel. It's true. It's just a fun time knit festival. Hey, it is. Sort of craft festival, more generally. It's a lot of yarn. A lot of fibre. Mm-hmm. A lot of textiles. Yep. We love it. We've been here many times before. It's one of our favourite festivals, and uh, this year hasn't disappointed. Indeed. What was your, some of your favourites? Uh, well, we did a couple of interviews while we were here, mm-hmm. some podcast interviews. We spoke to John Arben. Uh, many of you might know he is the man behind John Arben. Oh, you hesitated, <laughs> the man. I was like, Humanoid. the guy, the cool guy, the cool dude. The dude. Um, who spins wonderful yarn. Uh, so we interviewed him and talked to him about uh, making yarn, yeah. unsurprisingly. And we also spoke to Nancy Marchant who is the queen of brioche. So those were highlights of mine. But of course, it's always nice uh, to see Rachel Coopy and her delightful yarn, Rachel mm-hmm. Atkinson and her delightful yarn. The Rachels. The Rachels, exactly. We've been opposite Triskelion. Oh yes, good fun. That's <laughs> very colourful. And Little Grey Sheep is nearby as well, so I've made a few uh, forays to their stand. How about you? Um, well, I quite liked Stranded Dye Works. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And I got a nice little skein from those guys. And also Fine Fish Yarns. Ah. And those two, I realised I'd actually had a system for my purchasing. That those guys, it's um, for both of them, so first visit to the festival. Oh, So I was like, yeah, come back again, guys, because I like your stuff. Yeah. So, especially Fine Fish Yarns, I got a sparkly sock yarn. Ooh. I think in my life, I just, I just need a sparkly sock yarn every now and again, you know. I think that's that's fair enough. Yes. And they both do nice kind of speckly things. Yeah, I'm rocking I'm feeling the speckles, you know. Speckles are good. Yeah, yeah. This is good. Um, anything exciting from you? What purchase wise? Yeah, no, just generally. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't bought any yarn per se, mm. but I did buy a very exciting uh old well, vintage, shall we say. Oh, this is what the kids say these days. They say new to me. Ooh. That's what they say. Okay, so it's new to me. Uh, sewing box, like a wooden sewing box on a stand, and it kind of Constantina's out. People might have seen the sort that I'm talking about, mm-hmm. um, and I'm very excited about that. That's pretty much it on the purchase front, although I was thinking of getting some buttons from Textile Garden. Hey. She has many great buttons. She does. 
Oh, we need to say thank you to Ali, who brought some mini eggs. <gasps> we do! Thank you, Ali! She's a cool pom cat who provided us with chocolatey goods for the festival, so thank you. Yeah, not only mini eggs, though, she also upped the game with uh, chocolate sheep. Yeah. <laughs> so next year we're expecting three chocolate items. Yeah. <laughs> that's how it works, that's the maths. Mm -hmm. um, so I suppose we can extend that thanks out to everyone who's come to the stand, everyone who said hello, everyone who's bought things and yep. said uh, just lovely things. Nice to meet the peoples. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun showing people the new issue. Um, and of course, Interpretations Volume 4 is now in print. It's, mm -hmm. it's big reveal this weekend. Um, and we've had some excellent feedback. Of course, all the patterns are gorgeous. Of course. Of course they are, because Hohi and Vera are very good at what they do. And of course, we love it. And we're glad that uh, other people also do like it. Yes. Oh, it's worth mentioning. You can buy that online now. Yes. And Volume 3. A lot of you have been asking about Volume 3, which has been... Uh, Sold out, out of print, but now we've got it back in. Yay! So you can complete your interpretations library with all the volumes. You can indeed. So you can just head over to the website and click on the shop button. Ah, someone started hoovering. You might hear that in the background. <laughs> they just stopped. That's great. <laughs> it's good to be uh, clean. Yes. <laughs> oh, speaking of websites, of which Pom Pom has one, we also have all the show notes. Uh, we have a blog post for every episode. Mm -hmm. See all the fun stuff on there. If you ever missing the details... You can check it out. Yeah, we put on links, pictures, all sorts of things. Excellent. So this podcast, let's do an intro. Uh, we've got our usual, we've got tell and tell. We, we tell each other and you guys what we've been knitting. Mm -hmm. We've got news and reviews. Uh, we're looking at some lovely yarn from uh, La Bienemi, uh -huh. our sponsors. And also we've got a bonus set of interviews because we're talking uh, with first with John Arben. Let's go alphabetically, why not? Yeah. And then we've got Nancy Martin. Um, yeah. These are recorded at Unravel with a live audience. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking... Two interviews. That's right, guys. Two interviews. So you can settle in, maybe even make yourself another cup of tea. And of course, at the end of the podcast, you can look forward to a top three. Which <gasps> What's it going to be? What's it going to be? Where's it going to be? Where's it going to be? Who's it going to be? It will probably be us. It'll so. probably be yeah. us. But hey, yay, it'll be us. Yay. yay. Oh, hey, we should tell the people what they expect next week, though. Not next week. Oh, I say next week. Next episode. Mm, yes. We're going to have super special guest star. We are. I am going to not be in it. <laughs> I will be away for the recording of the next podcast. But don't worry, guys, because we found, as we always do, we found someone who is much better <laughs> than me uh, to take my place for one episode only. She's uh, she's pretty well known, I think, in the name world. We're giving it away as a she. Uh-oh. Oh. Everyone's hoping, fingers crossed, it's Eli. <laughs> <laughs> Tell more funny stories. Lily <laughs> just looked at me like, hey, that's an idea. So, yes, um, next podcast will be coming from Edinburgh Yarn Festival. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, bringing you the pom-pom with an Edinburgh twist. <laughs> yeah, with a Scottish twist all the way up north. Uh, so if you're around at the festival, swing by and say hi. And even if you said hi at Unravel and you're going to be there as well, say hi again. Yeah. Of course, one of the things we'll have at the festival, like we did at Unravel, will be the new issue, uh, Spring 2017, mm -hmm. uh, of which we should tell the people the digital version is now live. It is. So if you already have your print copy, you should have a download code inside and that will now be, you'll be able to use that. You can just go over to Ravelry, type it in. Let those patterns be free and printed. Woo! Um, but if you uh, wanted just the digital version, then that is now a possibility. Thank goodness. <laughs> well, I think the big news people should know, uh, we've been building up to the news, which is the biggest news. It's true. Pomfest! Yeah. Oh my word. Way. So if you've been keeping an eye on our social media, you might have seen a few, uh, well, not even really hints, really, but safer <laughs> dates and um, other bits and bobs. I'm not 100% sure what will be out and about by the time this podcast 
uh, is aired. But it's safe to tell you that we'll be having a fifth anniversary party this summer. That's right. We're going to be five. Woo! Woo! Um, we've been walking for many years now. <laughs> I have the best. Literally a baby. Yeah. An analogy. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we're calling our fifth anniversary party Pomfest. And what a great title. It's a good title. You can't go wrong with using pom. Just sticking everything. it onto other words. Pomcast is a good example. Yep. Party's going to be... In July, mid-July, the 14th and 15th, and we'll have a pop-up. It'll be a bit like our Christmas party, if anyone's been along to that. But, but bigger. bigger. And better. And better. You're like, how could it be better? Oh, well, <laughs> we will show you. We have a lovely um, venue in East London, close to the river. We'll have marketplace, we'll have talks, which we're very excited about. And on the Friday, we will have a party because it wouldn't be a pom-pom event if there wasn't a party. Pom-pom party is the best. Mm-hmm. We know this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, super excited about that. We hope you guys can join us. We do indeed. Pom-pom-pom-pom-pom-pom-pom-pom-pom-pom-cast. Moving on to Tell and Tell. Lydia, you've been knitting some things. How did you know that? Uh, been, who have you been talking to? <laughs> uh, yes, I am knitting some things. Uh, my knitting has slowed somewhat, I must say, over the last few weeks. It's been a busy time. That's okay. I've been plugging away on my uh, second pair of Emily's favourite socks. Mm-hmm. So that's a pair of... Um, so, yeah, my second pair, Emily being Emily Foden of Viola Yarns. Uh, she has a lovely pattern for her favourite socks, uh, which is lovely ribbed socks, simple, pretty colours. I think they're pretty colours that I've chosen. Um, so I'm just kind of, you know... Working away on those in the background, in between the things. I also made my sister a very simple cowl uh, as a thank you present because she helped me paint my bedroom. Nice. She's a painter and decorator, so she's very useful. Skills exchange. Yeah, she has all the like good kit that you need for painting and decorating. uh, And extra skills, of course, always handy. And she's a nice person and I like hanging out (laughs) with her. So that's quite good. That should be the first thing you said. (laughs) Yeah, and she's quite nice. Um, yeah, so I made her a cowl in uh, the Schillerstare DK in a kind of rusty colour in just very simple kind of brioche stitch. Very, uh, yeah, that's about it, really. It's yeah. been quite a quiet time. I'm, I guess I'm working on my Velamo as well. Again, quite quite slow yeah. background kind of work. Yeah, how about you? Um, yeah, after my initial splurge of Christmas knitting, where I'm like, knit all the things. Yeah, slow down. And... Started a Chester Basin hat, though, from Take Heart. Ooh. I'm enjoying my Take Heart projects at the moment, because they're mm-hmm. good little small projects. Pick up and put down. Yes. And I'm using some of the Border Mill Alpaca. Ah, <gasps> delightful. Which you can actually get from the Pop-On website. We did some cool gift sets. So, we did. Um, that's pretty good. If you want to be as cool as me and Ned there, then <laughs> you can. Uh, so it's a nice kind of... called Corn on the Cob Stitch. So you're using only one colour at a time. But it gives an amazing... It's like moss stitch, but not... But kind of chessboard, but not... And the border alpaca is border mill alpaca is super fluffy, so I'm pretty Such happy. Such nice yarn. Yeah, and I have seen Sophie knitting this hat, and I can confirm that it is nice. You've seen how happy I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do have plans to make a tania from uh, the newest issue. Mm. I have some chickadee I picked up at Loop. Um, some of the hand hand dyed chickadee. Oh, fun! Yes, in a kind of it's like a sort of peachy terracottery color, and I think I'm just going to do it in one color. Whoa. Whoa. I know. It's Wait. not normally the case that I go from several colours to one when I make my own version of a thing, but I just, I like that one colour. Okay. Yeah, I know. Oh. Yeah. I'm supporting you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, so uh, hopefully by the time we record the next, well, I won't be recording the next one, so double hopefully by the time I'm next on this yeah. podcast, we'll be able to hear about uh, me knitting a new cardigan. Cool. If you ever want to chat about what you're knitting, of course, we have the Pom Pom Ravelry group. Everyone's nice there. They are. <laughs> So after news come reviews. Hey, hey they rhyme. <laughs> so for this, so uh, makes me laugh. That. <laughs> like, well done, us. We can do rhyming. Um, so for this episode, we have some lovely Marino DK from La Bien Ami, who are the sponsors of this episode, and they are also the people who made the yarn by the same name for the Melly uh, cardigan, which is in the latest edition of Pom Pom, which you might. Recognised cause it's got speckles. Yay! So this colour is called Amy's Sweater. And, you know, if you're dyeing your own yarn, why not have a colour named after you? I think that's, uh, that's you just got to do it. Yeah. There's no way around it. So uh, if people haven't seen this, it's sort of the grey, lovely soft grey is the base colour. And then it's got pretty much a rainbow set of sparkles. It really does. It has, okay, so I'm just going to look at one little section here. There is a bright pink. There is a bright turquoise. There is a neon yellow. It's kind of an orange over here. There's some more pink, some red. Ooh, a nice deep purple. Yeah, it's like a confetti cake. Yes. <laughs> All the sprinkles. It's like super colourful sprinkles. Yeah. On lovely cloudy grey. Oh, delightful. And the thing I, I love about this yarn, which is why I think it lends itself so nicely to the pattern, the pure merino, you know, you've got a nice bounce. Mm -hmm. You've got the, the spongy structure that mm -hmm. you get with merino. Um, because the melee cardigan is sort of a dramatic drop shoulder, yeah. slightly bigger, looser, baggier. Like kimono yeah. shape. Yeah. So I think having the bounce of the merino um, and this yarn, I mean, we haven't had it with us long, this sample, but it's it's well, it's well, standing up well to the uh, the trials and tribulations of a show. It certainly is. So I'm thinking low pillage. <laughs> Very low pillage. And uh, this... Like a Viking. <laughs> It's like a trump card for a Viking. <laughs> no pillage. <laughs> um, it's got a lovely uh, sort of... Well, it's got a stitch pattern which the designer has named a bee because it kind of looks like two little wings. And again, the yarn uh, shows off the stitch pattern very nicely, I think. Yeah, you get that sort of definition of the stitch, uh, which I like. Me too. I'm nodding, <laughs> but I feel like I should say the things since this is radio. So it's a, it's a superwash merino, mm -hmm. um, which means that it's got that slight sheen, which again, just kind of makes the fun colours like sing. It really pops, more. yeah. It gives a kind yeah. of a, a smoothness, well, not like a silkiness, but not like you would with silk, obviously. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the nice kind of soft texture. Exactly. And the good thing about these superwash merinos is for people who don't like a crunchy, munchy, woolly wool mm -hmm. because perhaps it irritates their skin. Um, this is really, this sort of yarn in particular, so La Bien Amis, uh Merino DK is really good because it doesn't tend to irritate the skin. Mm. Um, so it's very good, especially for this kind of spring cardi because it's probably going to be worn right next to the skin. Yep. You know, you might not have a long sleeve top on underneath because hopefully we're going to get some warmth soon. Oh boy, oh boy. You never know, <laughs> anything could happen. Um, so that's good. And also, for example, like my mum, she can't really wear wool. So if I was going to make her a hat or mitts, I'd probably go for probably go for this kind of yarn. Cool. All right. Well, if you'd like to go for this kind of yarn, maybe we you think could, you do want yeah, to go for it. Maybe you could win some in <gasps> our Pomcast giveaway. Oh, boy. So, yes, every episode we have a giveaway. This 
episode very generously. Lovely folks at uh, Le Bien Ami have given us a sweater's quantity, or rather a cardigan, if you uh-huh. will, uh, which you could make. Hey, Melly Cardigan from Pom Pom Issue 20. Wait, so if that sounds interesting to you, which it should, mm-hmm. um, you can find out more details on how to enter on the blog. Hooray! familiar with John if you've ever been to Unravel before. He makes lovely yarn, but we're going to let him tell us about that more than uh, I think you can probably do a better job than I can. So <laughs> without further ado, I think I'll let uh, Sophie ask our first Pomcast question. All right. So uh, if people haven't visited John Arbin down the hall yet and know that you are part of a big mill down in Devon, what's the typical day at the mill like? Ooh, um, noisy. Busy. <laughs> Uh, depends what we're doing in any one week, but um, generally we're all getting a cup of tea. Uh-huh, good. Crucial thing. And then it'll be, um, we'll have a small meeting, <coughs> work out what's going on in the mill, we'll try to. Um, we do have a schedule. Okay, good. <laughs> There's we a plan. do know what we should be spinning and what should be, so there'll be different stages of the process. Of, uh, so it'll be anything from the original fibre coming in, so it'll be carding. Mm-hmm. That'll be going on. There'll be um, gilling and combing. Gilling is prepping the fibre. Combing is, again, preparation of mm-hmm. fibre, removing certain aspects of the fibre. And then there's a, a spinning side, so there's preparation for that. And then the final folding or winding, so mm-hmm. there's sort of several different, three main sections, making tops and then spinning tops okay. and then folding and scaling. So then we have a schedule based on that. So okay. Then we'll work out where we are on the schedule mm-hmm. and what's coming up. So there's like a pipeline of material going through the mill. Mm-hmm. So we have to make sure it's going at the right rate. Yeah. And there's not like a sudden stop. Yep. So if we do that, then everything comes to a clunking halt. Yep. So you make sure <laughs> that it's coming out and it's coming out on the time and to the right quality. Mm. So it's, it's, it's spinning plates basically, making sure everyone's spinning the right plates. And spinning yarns. And yeah. Spinning. yeah. <laughs> plates and yarns. <laughs> so how and why did you come to start the mill, John Harvin? Well, it's Fibre Harvest, the name of the mill, I guess. Yeah, but, uh, it's a, yeah it was set up under a different name to get funding. <laughs> <laughs> or did it sound more legit? Like? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it was, so you had to have a separate company to get the, the funding through, and it, we set it up as a separate entity, mm-hmm. so we did it for various reasons. Um, what was the question? Why? Why? <laughs> why mill? How, how and why? Yeah. Why mill? Because <laughs> uh, um, trying to get what I wanted to be spun, uh, at the time we were making small small runs of yarn and uh, socks, and I knew that what I wanted to do was being held back by the lack of uh, small processing and spinning being available in the uh, UK. And the only way I could do it <coughs> was either do it myself or do it overseas in larger amounts, which I didn't really want to mm. do. Um, I liked the idea of doing it myself, so it came about because of that. And an engineering friend said, in a very northern accent. Why don't you get machinery, lad? <laughs> I went, yeah, all right then. <laughs> that does sound convincing. Yeah, it does. <laughs> so I then started buying lots of old kit, basically, and renovated it. 
Yeah. And, and before you bought that kit, had you worked with those sorts of machines before? In theory. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I studied textiles. So, yes. Uh, and I, I, I did a degree in textiles. And it, I was quite fortunate when I did it, you did... It was a design and technical course. And they had a, uh, a lab, which was a mini mill, basically... Cool. So you could take, yeah, it was, <clears throat> you could take your raw fibre into that mill, you'd card it, you'd comb mm -hmm. it, you'd prep it into a yarn, and we used to do knitting as well, or weaving, depending on what you wanted to do, but you understood the process all the way through, and then <clears throat> technically we learned about the machinery and what it was meant to do, mm -hmm. and how it behaves, so the science of it, yeah. so the design side of it, uh -huh. so when it came to the machinery... I had a bearing of what it should do and how it should do it. But it's, it's another thing to learn how to actually uh, make the machine run. They don't tell you that in any way, manuals or anything. So you've got to kind of know. Because you do all the, the fixing and running the machines in-house sort of thing. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got <coughs> engineering friends. They've got people. I mean, there's lots of... Um, all the machines are electromechanical. I do have a really good uh, uh, electrician who, who's able to help us and a really good textile engineer on call. Mm. So, but generally, yeah. <laughs> These are the kind of things people on your own mills have on speed, speed dial, textile engineers. Like this, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, no, they're sort of like the rarities, really. I yeah. was lucky to come across the electrical engineer. He just happens to like old machinery and, and old big banks of wiring. He opened these panels and just go, God, and sort of relays out <laughs> the 50s and things. And he goes, oh, it's an old B120. I haven't seen one of those in years. You know, he whips it out and... So you've got to have people like that around you. Definitely. So, mm. so what was the first machine that you bought? Uh, Cuthbert. Okay. Gearbox. Oh yeah, all the, yeah, if people don't know, all the machines have names. They've got silly names. Fact, <laughs> there's a tank engine gone wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any favourites then? Cuthbert. Cuthbert. Yeah, Cuthbert. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> obvious, you know, yeah, sorry. it's a bit of an old clanky old thing. They sort of, sort of name them in terms of the way the machine operates. Okay. So Cuthbert's a bit slow and a bit... A bit of a cup <laughs> there you go. So some of them named after people we got the machines from, or, yeah. or, or helped us with it. Like there's a Chapman, mm -hmm. there's a Butler. The Butler is the last Worsted owner in Halifax. We got a lot of machinery from his place, mm -hmm. which is great because it was just full of old kit, and he gave us first dibs on everything. So there's old sort of carts and all sorts of stuff. Mm. So we robbed it. <laughs> Literally, I was in a toilet taking things off the door. <laughs> nice enamel signs. Huh. What are you doing in there? <laughs> you said we could have anything we wanted. Just put it like that. It's not tied down. <laughs> yeah, terrible. Cool. All right. Well, going a bit further back before you owned the mill, um, you know, you did a lot of travelling, like Guatemala yeah. and Japan. Yep. So that's sort of a bit different to your sort of Devon setup now. Yeah. Um, what sort of influences and techniques and skills did you find on those travels that's sort of had an impact on your work now? Good bars. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, um, well, with Guatemala, I was looking at um, uh, weaving, backstrap weaving. So I went into the... Um, Western Highlands to look at backstrap weaving, mm -hmm. and the each village uh, basically has a different uh, design and um, colouring, and all of it is passed on. They don't actually record it. Yeah. So they mentally pass it on. Can you indulge me? Backstrap weaving then is it sort of you have like the tension around your back? Yeah, that, that's, yeah, that's the job. So it's like a portable loom, mm -hmm. 
And you tension the walk with your back and you have a harness and you yeah. put the tie to a tree or whatever it's stable enough and, and you weave with it and you basically open the shed with a with a flat panel basically. Mm-hmm. Some of them do have a string drawn sheds as well. Depends mm. how you're gonna do it. Depends what type of weaving they do. Yeah. Or they have multiple string sheds that you put up and down. Yeah. And you which you finger yourself and put through. And then you <coughs> embroider as you weave as well, so you're pressing it in. Sort of tapestry weaving. Yeah. Oh really? Oh. Yeah. Okay. That's well, really good. Yeah, and yeah. Um, so I learned how to do that out there. I was quite interested in it. Mm. So. It sort of took me there. So <clears throat> that sort of gave me sort of colour and influence and uh, almost sort of went and studied weaving from that because you could do both in the course I was doing, but I ended up specialising in knitwear. Mm. But uh, yeah, I enjoyed that. And then Japan, remind me what you were doing in Japan. In Japan. Yeah, I was, <laughs> um, that was to look at uh, uh, seamless garment technology mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, Shimasiki, Japanese machine builder, this is knitting machines, uh, were producing, they still do, but they're prototype machines, which is basically knitting in the round, so you knit the whole garment without uh, putting it together afterwards, so uh-huh. there's no makeup involved in the, in the garment. And they developed V-bed machines to do that, but they're called X-bed because they've got multiple beds with transfer points, so you can transfer the stitches okay. automatically. It's quite a complex machine. Yeah. A very complex program. And at the time they were launching this, they invited me. Well, I asked them and then they invited me <laughs> over. They didn't say, hey, let's get John Arbor. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I was studying I was studying seamless garment technology mm, right. and I wrote a dissertation on it. So oh, cool. And uh, so I went over there to look at it and they let me preview this machine before it was launched, which is good. And then they had this factory boutique and they had this concept idea where every retail store would be able to have a uh, scanner and knitting machine. So you go in and have your body scanned and then they'll put that up onto a screen and most of the proportions are correct on there, mm-hmm. although I wasn't sure about one of them. <laughs> <laughs> and then they knit you a terrible they knit you a jumper basically to fit and then you come a bespoke jumper and you come back a, an hour later and get your jumper. Mm. That was the idea. But the whole point of seamless garment technology is to remove the makeup side, so eliminate that. Yeah. But the trouble is, <clears throat> if, if there's an error in the, in the garment or something, you lose the whole garment. Right. So putting panels and garment pieces in fully fashioned knitwear together, you only lose the panel. So it's not without its problems. Yeah. And it's expensive. Mm. But it is out there, you can get seamless garment. I was going to say, is it now? Like, yeah, 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 they, they do do it. I mean, these machines are out there, so I don't know where this knitwear is going, because you don't see it very often. No. Uh, it'll look like a fa- fully fashioned garment, if you know what I mean by fashioning marks. Mm-hmm. Um, but there'll be no joint seams, it'll be completely flat. Oh, I have to keep an eye out. Yeah, they actually yeah. put the marks in, so you can... <laughs> what, like a too. faux seam almost, or...? It's just completely flat seam. Oh, yeah. And they knit from the, it starts from the bottom, mm-hmm. and knit the body, yeah. and goes up, and then knits the sleeves, and goes up, transfers all the stitches up into the neck. Mm. So is this like fed into it? Because obviously there's the John Arben socks that you do as well. Yeah. Well, I studied knitwear, knitwear, so... Yeah. Um, Let's talk about that, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good lead in, yeah. Uh, I studied knitwear, well, I, I specialised in knitwear, mm. so the dissertation, like I said, was in seamless garment knitwear, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, so I was taught on um, hand-flat machinery, yeah. and was trained to 
program automatic machinery for large-scale knitwear factories mm -hmm. to produce knitwear. And it was as a design technology <coughs> consultant. So you transfer someone's design idea into a workable uh, okay. pattern that can knit uh, a commercial rate. Because wow. it's one thing doing it for a machine and then making it run in production. So that was what I was studying and training to do. Yeah. Along wow. with yarn. <laughs> yeah. Well, moving on to what you're doing now in the mill, there's a lot of um, custom blends that you're involved <coughs> in. Think of Daughter of a Shepherd, who's here at Unravel, and there's stuff you've done for your solder. What's the sort of process that you, you know, working with someone else in a yarn like that, how does that uh, develop? Um, well, basically, they'll have an idea of where they want to go with a yarn. So they, they want it for a certain patterns or <clears throat> a certain way they want it to look. And then we'll suggest different fibres that we think would be right for that and will fit that bill. Mm. And the different fibres based on uh, the character of, of the, each fibre. Mm -hmm. um, so if it's going to have a lot of lustre in it or they want it a bit springy or they want a bit of flecking in mm. there or they, they want it to be quite sharp when it, it's definition. Um, or they want a bit of halo in there, or, or whatever it may be, and the performance of it, depending on what sort of garment it's going to be, then you tailor that yarn to fit. So you kind of go backwards, if you see what I mean. So yeah. you think about its end use, and then go back to the start to produce yeah. that all the way through, rather than try and make something fit. You know, it's no good just saying, oh, I like that fibre, I want it in my yarn. <clears throat> you kind of have to ask the question, well, what do you want it to do and what do you want it to be? Yeah, I suppose it's like choosing yarn for a project as well. Yeah. I mean, taking, as mentioned, um, Rachel Atkinson, Daughter of a Shepherd, I suppose yeah. it almost started sort of back to front because she was, people know the story, she had fleeces from her father's yeah. flock. So yeah. how did that work? She had the raw product. She's like, I want to make this a yarn. Yeah, that's slightly different because then you're dealing with something that's already there. Yeah. That they, they want to then make into a type of yarn. Yeah. So <clears throat> you kind of, and she wanted it worsted spun, which is a bit tricky because it's quite short, the hybrid ear. Mm -hmm. So really, it should be woolen or semi-worsted. Mm -hmm. um, it's just about got enough length with it to, to make it work. Um, so I was sort of booming and ahhing about that. But... <laughs> I said eventually that we should use a carrier, so we use warblers with it yes. to aid it through the spinning process and preparation process, otherwise it causes problems and won't make such a good yarn. Right. So there's an instance where you're sort of engineering something mm -hmm. to make it work because you add something else with it. So. Yeah. But then it's a similar colour base and it's quite uh, spongy as well, so it adds something to the yarn as well. Yeah. Just um, in case... Not everybody knows, and actually, I'm not 100% sure what the difference is between worsted and woolen spun. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> As in, I, I've learned this a million times, and every time I hand forget. Spin, hand spinners. Hand, any hand spinners? Hey! Hey! <laughs> uh, essentially, when you're spinning a woolen yarn, you, you, or worsted, you card both of them. When they come off the carder, the fibres are in a sort of crosshatch uh -huh. situation. Uh, if they're short fibres, uh, you want to leave them like that because if you try and straighten them and make them parallel, the thing falls apart because they're too short. Mm -hmm. Whereas worsted, they're long fibres, you don't want them all jumbled up because they're nice and long, you want to make them nice and parallel, then you can draw and draft them out into nice, fine, sleek yarns and make them very strong. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you go from carding with a woolen to a roving to spinning, and with worsted, you go from carding to gilling 
to make it in parallel, the combing and a lot more other stuff to make it right and make it parallel. Okay. And then things like <coughs> luster and things like that can come through because the light refraction is able to shine off the yarns mm. and woolen will be a lot fuzzier, hairier. So you can, you can tell the difference between Yeah. So <laughs> what's an ideal fibre for woolen spun? Um, well, Hebridean. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, basically, any short staple fibre from yeah. you know, sheep producing short staples. So, mm. the classic sort of uh, long staple would be Blue Face Leicester, which everyone knows. It's yep. quite to work with. Uh, Shetland is good for woolen. Okay. It's quite short. You guys should put this into practice now you've learnt it. Like, you can go away with semi worsted, where you don't comb it. Mm. So, you kind of leave it so it's hanging together. You leave a little bit of short to grip yeah. and stay in there. And what does that do to the fibre then? What kind of feel it's, does that have? Well, I, I don't like it because uh, <laughs> when you've prepped it like that and spun it, the, the, the fibres, short fibres, can drop yeah. out. Are you much of a hand knitter? I'm curious to ask. With the, I'm a machine the... knitter. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I you've I'm chosen your rank. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I can't have a look, you know, just about. Yeah, I, yeah. I know the principle. That's okay. You can make yarns. I can't do yeah, that. Yeah, so. yeah. I, can, I can machine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which also I can't do. I know because when you were talking about seamless machine knitting, yeah, I was like, <laughs> we can do that. <laughs> well, yeah. Is that no. the only trying to copy Much slower. I like on Duviates, which are like the Rolls Royce. Uh -huh. I'm not talking those sort of clanky brother mm -hmm. things, knit mm. masters. I'm talking engineered Rolls Royce knitting machines that mm. you can push along with your fingers. You know. <laughs> Little finger. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> all the strength in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, have I gone off piece? No, no, no. I think right. well, maybe we have. It's been charming. Oh, right. um, <laughs> I was going to ask well, a little bit more about the, the yarns that you use because they are sort of uh, focused on the areas like Devon. Yeah. I say warbles, but you said it in such a. Swatless. Because it's, <laughs> it's Dutch, isn't it? Ah, so it's okay. Black. What's the blues for? I don't know. Anybody know? Anyone speak Dutch? Because blues mean sheep. When, where's Anna Maltz when you want her? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Someone would know, wouldn't they? Yeah, somebody Google it. Yeah. yeah, we'll do like a kind of, when we do the podcast, we can be like, ah, oh, we fact check. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. <laughs> it's a reason to listen again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yes, that breed, the Dutch one. Yeah. Uh, and the blue faced Esther yarns that you use. Um, sort of, yeah, ha going back to sort of the characteristics of the yarn, what are mm. the things that you look for? In the yarns that you produce, sort of the John Arben yarns? Um, again, it depends what it is and what we're trying to achieve, mm -hmm. achieve with it. Like mm. uh, the Harvest Hues. Yeah, say that for soft. example. Yeah, yeah we wanted <coughs> something soft uh, and nice and fine that people appreciate, but along with it, we wanted to make it a bit uh, loftier and bouncier, mm. so we put the warblers in it. Mm. But plus, putting the warblers in it makes it richer as well. Okay. So you added this richness. And it made it a bit more sheepy, I suppose, if you know what I mean. Yep. Uh, merino can be a little bit too clinical, I suppose. It's, yeah. And everybody likes merino, but putting something like that in, it gave it a different dimension. Mm, more sheep. <coughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, with our alpaca supreme, we like to um, put silk in with that and merino. It's a nice balance. Yeah. I don't like alpaca on its own. It's a nightmare. It's quite heavy, isn't it? A bit lank. Yeah. Like it. <coughs> and it's lank. static. It's lank. <laughs> Awful. Oh really? Yeah, it's annoying. To spin oh. it and prep it, it's awful. Do you it's like have your hair with a balloon? <laughs> yeah, um, do you have a favourite yarn that you make, or are you not allowed to choose? 
I like anything with RX more blue faces. Okay. Really. okay. So, um, I particularly like the Devonia because that's a new one we're working on. So we should leads nicely into that. Yeah. Favorite. So. Yeah. yeah. Tell the people more. Can we hear more about Devonia? I know it's, is it still a little bit top secret. Or? No, no, no. Okay. We're we're, um, we're launching it at um, Edinburgh, mm -hmm. and we've got four of the five of the tops here at the show. Mm. And it's a new range using all Devon fibres, so we've been bred on Exmoor. So it's our Exmoor Blueface, um, some Blueface Leicester that we were able to source, which has been double sorted and is, is amazing, mm -hmm. which has been bred on Exmoor. What makes it so amazing then? Um, the people have bred it, basically. It's really top quality, mm. and we know who they are. And um, <laughs> well, they, they, they're prize-winning animals, you see, so... and. It's graded at the wall board and uh, it's quite, it can be quite kempy. Anybody use blue face, you get sort of kempy bits in it. And mm -hmm. It can be quite nasty in there. So you, it's graded once and they sort it and then it's sorted again. And our wool agent went through two tons of this, two and a half tons of it on his own, giving it a double sorting. So it took us probably another year to get this stuff out. So it's all been hand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So sort there's a lot of work on it yeah, to wow. make sure it's right. Um, Although he left too much straw in there for my liking, but people quite like that, I don't mind it. Bit of authenticity straw, <coughs> yeah, you know, put a bit extra in. Yeah. <laughs> Wensydale come from a, another uh, Exmoor farm, which is an organic farm. Mm -hmm. um, sadly, they've sold their flock now. Oh, that makes it all the more exclusive for you guys, does, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I've got enough of the clip, though. So we're all there we go. <laughs> as long as you guys have got enough, that's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. So, and it's a happy blend of those. So we've got our Exmoor blue face in there, which is a main ingredient, which is 50%. Mm -hmm. Then you've got 30% of the blue face, which sits very well with it. Mm -hmm. And then to add some extra luster, you've got the Wensidol. Nice. Yeah, sounds great. What kind of colour range can people expect from that? Uh, well, the colour range is we, we happened to be on holiday in uh, France last year and, and we travelled down to Spain and we stumbled across an exhibition by a French textile tapestry artist who's long dead. And it uh, was in his house where he lived in this derelict castle. It was part derelict and part. Oh my god. Regenerate. Yeah, basically. Cool. And uh, he used to do um, tapestries and he would do, I had this giant wall where he would pin out and map out the tapestries and then he had a, a, a spinning mill that <clears throat> would spin the yarns and then they were dyeing these yarns to his specific shades and then hand tapestry the, these giant tapestries. Wow. And uh, they're just amazing, incredible. Um, so we come across that, and I, the palette he uses is incredible. So I, I was thinking about this yarn range, and I saw this, and I just wanted to use his colours in the palette. So perfect. Yeah, we've gone ahead and done that. It's called Jean Le Cat. Okay. Do you have a? I've got his You've got a show and tell. We love show and tell. Which you can't really see from sitting, but um, quite dynamic stuff. This is uh, oh, wow. from a, a series of work called Chanson <laughs> de Monde. And uh, he's basically, his take on life and where we're going, basically, it's not a very pretty picture, but the colouring <laughs> is, is, is incredible. And you see these, this sort of stuff, life-size, giant tapestries and beautiful coloured walls. It's just amazing. So there, that's the inspiration. So we've picked out a range from within that, his typical colouring. Going to ruin the book now, and uh, we've uh, been dyeing the tops. So we've prepped all the tops, and we've got the tops dyed. Hey, sneak peek! Yeah, <laughs> we've got a magic bag. 
<laughs> this is more show and tell, which will work really well in recording. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, look at the colours. <laughs> um, so we've got a load of tops dyed, um, which I haven't got the top colours here. And basically, knowing the palette we wanted to produce, so we ended up with uh, six base colours that mm -hmm. we could then get the actual shades we wanted out of it by adding, mixing these colours together. Oh, wow. Getting them together. A bit like mixing paints. Mm -hmm. for able to do. We had to have the right starting point. And then we've been uh, working through a whole range of ideas and colours, which is all on these tatty bits of scrapbook. <laughs> it does mean something to us, honestly. Uh, <laughs> this, is like, this is like the raw kind yeah, of yeah, process this is, of it. Yeah, this is what we do. And then the, the girls will hand spin, you know, they'll, they'll hand card and hand spin the samples up, make sure we're going in the right way. Wow. Um, and then we will actually try these out as uh, like final proofs and then check against them and then tweak them as we need to and then when we're happy we'll actually do the final blended tops. And with the colour process then, so it's it's dyeing the, the fleece before it's blended rather than... Dyeing the tops. Tops, sorry. Yeah, yeah, we don't, you can dye the fleece yeah. and then you have to... I did a huge faux pas, milling yeah. faux pas. <laughs> no, 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 no. You can do it that way around. Oh, okay. You can, you yeah. dye in the wall and then you card it and put it through. So are we on our final two questions? Yeah, so um, we have a classic question, which is Desert Island Yarn. Oh, yeah. I can kind of assume where it might come from. We're assuming you're familiar with Desert Island Discs. Yeah. Yes. So you're, you're can cast... I take a record? <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what? Yeah, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Since we know that you do DJing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, uh, what Desert Island Disc would you take? One no, you haven't. You've, you've dropped yourself in it, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't, don't ask the question if you can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You volunteered yourself. I think I'll come back to that. Okay, right. well, if you're uh, you're being... Uh, well, I guess, let's say you can take a knitting machine with you to this desert island as well. Yeah. Because otherwise it would be unfair to cast no, you I'll away with... No, I do be able to do that. Sure, yeah. uh-huh. And you're allowed to take one yarn. It can come in all the colours, but I'll just one yarn. Yeah. You're going to have to vote it. Very good. It would have to be a, a 212. Sure. I can knit from the machine with it. Okay, well, I guess you can make yourself that ready before we cast you off. Record. Yes. Mary Lou Williams, uh, Black Christ of the Andes. Okay. Take note, everyone. Scripture <laughs> jazz out. There okay. we go. Uh, cool, okay. And then our other question will be, oh, we missed out the, uh, which animal are you? Which animal are you? So if you were going to be an animal. <laughs> I'm a monkey. You're a monkey, okay. <laughs> You're right, you know what? Now it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, good, okay. <laughs> and lastly, apart from, I mean, I guess we've talked about Devonia, but are there any other future plans that John Arbon has? Mini skeins! Yeah, yeah. We've finally got the mini skein machine working. It's a very tiny machine. Tiny little people. <laughs> and they've all been trained. You went to Lilliput, you yeah. came back with you. No, mice, oh, yeah. gotcha, okay. <laughs> very bad person, yeah, okay. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they're running it now. And um, <laughs> So, yeah, mini, mini skeins are coming. Fantastic. What, in, so have you heard it here Edinburgh-esque time, or we... No, after Edinburgh. Okay. So, we'll have DK... Just going to go. Uh-oh. Someone's got the giggles. <laughs> DK... Uh, um, Devonia will be in time for Wonderwall and all the tops. And then sometime just after that will be mini skeins. Or maybe for Wonderwall. Mm. Yeah, that's that's nice. April, so I doubt it. Okay. Probably for the uh, open weekend. 
Oh, tell the people oh, about that. Oh, yeah. oh yes. Yeah. Early uh, June we've got an open weekend. We'll try to have knit by numbers mini skeins ready for that, I think. Very so exciting. Worth the trip then, definitely. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you can see as much uh, less of a commute. You can see John Harbin, Juliet. These folks, they're down in the Great Hall, sort of on the right-hand side when you walk in. So we highly recommend you checking them out. Yes. I guess uh, we can open up Q&A if you guys would like any if questions. If anybody has anything else they'd like to ask John. Some yarn <coughs> sold in balls and some in skins. I might just repeat that for the. So it's why was some yarn sold in balls and some in skins? Um, what with us or anybody? Anybody. It's down to what uh, um, winding equipment they've got. Okay. We've already got skein winders. If we get anything balled, there are, there is a company that does specifically do balling for yeah. you, and you send it there and have it balled. Okay. And you can have so it steamed nothing, as well. Nothing to do with the tension of the yarn being Nothing at all. No, it's just down to how you want to present it. Um, I think people associate a skein with a, a sort of more of a craft yarn yeah. and a, a ball of yarn with a mass produced yarn. Yeah. Mm. And I think there is no difference. It's just that way it's portrayed. Generally, when they ball a yarn, they will steam it first. The thing called superba setting. And it's, the yarns run out like spaghetti on a conveyor belt and steamed to open it all up, let it relax. But you will do that if, as a craft knitter, you will block, wash and block your, your yarn yeah. anyhow. So you're going to condition it in your own manner. So we sell our yarn unconditioned. A lot of commercial yarns sold conditioned. Yeah. Okay. Not saying it hasn't got moisture in it, though, yeah, because it's no difference. You might buy it on cone, you know, buy it on cone. It's the same difference. Did not know that. Any other? Yeah? What difference did it make to the business after you've been on a country farm and became a rock star? Mental. It was it was crazy, it was just stupidly busy. And it from you know, selling a few, you know, that time of year, selling one or two, having one or two orders a day. Having something like, I don't know, what was it, 800 in a day? Or something. <laughs> 400 in the first hour. 400 what, what, after it had been yeah. broadcast? That's incredible. It took us three weeks to get the first night's order. Yeah. Wow. Three was, weeks, yeah. yeah. It was nuts. And so then it obviously cleared all our stock out, so we had to panic and spin stuff and try to employ more staff and then. We sort of fell over and went, we don't like this. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're trying to get it back on a level again. Because it's, yeah. it's good, but it's, it just brings a load more problems with it. Um, you know, it's great for the exposure, great for selling more stuff. But the reality is you like sort of jogging along at your own pace, really. It's interesting. When we started this talk, you were saying like you wanted to do, you wanted to start your own mill so you could do small scale stuff on your own. Yeah. And now you found that sort of sort of snowballed out of itself. Yeah, it has. doing. And how, how do you feel about that? We'd like to reel it back in again, I suppose. Take, take more control of it. Um, yeah, I mean, at some point as well, I'm going to have to retire. Nah. <laughs> <Stories>. <laughs> we would like somebody to take it on, you know, mm. rather than dismantle this thing. It's quite unique. Yeah, mm. of course. Because all the, the sort of machinery it's got in one place and what it can do. Yeah. You know, it's quite specialised, so I, I can't do it forever because it's quite physical. Anybody want to take on a mill? There we go, yeah. spread the word. Heard it first. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You get me in the background, sadly. <laughs> oh, it's like music, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just you DJing in the middle. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> I had one final question, if uh, there's nothing else. When's your birthday? Today. Yes. Well, oh. Oh, what a coincidence. <laughs>
we uh, we thought it'd be quite nice. Everyone sing happy birthday. We weren't allowed candles, but we do have a cake that's shaped like a sheep for you. So I think we should sing happy birthday. Are we ready? Okay. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear John. Happy birthday to you. We don't have a knife or anything. No, we don't have a knife. You just hopped out. What's the fibre content on that cake? Yeah. Who's this guy? Is he? That was the very talented John Arbin. Thanks for making the good jokes. He did, <laughs> he did practice his jokes beforehand, we learned. <laughs> yeah, and oh boy, did it uh, pay off for us. So thank you to John, and don't forget uh, to check out his yarns, or their yarns, for there is John and there are other people involved. Um, and now we're going to hear all about brioche, that delicious bread. No, wait, that delicious stitch. Actually... We can find out why it's called brioche. <gasps> the suspense is too much. Here's Nancy Marchant. Welcome and uh, thanks for joining us for the special live edition of the Pomcast. Uh, I'm Sophie, this is Lydia, and we're joined by the lovely Nancy Marchant. Uh, if you listen to the Pom Pom Quarterly podcast, you know that we have interviews, and now you can hear this one live, and then listen to it again, and see <laughs> which bit we edited, add in the laughter track, or whatever. Um, so yeah, please join in and stick around afterwards for the Q&A. We're going to open it up to you guys, so uh, if you have any burning questions about brioche and otherwise, then uh, Nancy is here. Uh, yeah, we are recording it, obviously, so... Um, Bear with us while we look interesting in headphones. Um, well, welcome Nancy. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. You've been described as the queen of brioche. Yes. How did you get this title? And uh, what's been your journey to uh, the queendom? <laughs> well, actually, I'm, I'm, lately I've been known more as the queen mother of brioche. Because <laughs> we have kings now and princes and princesses and... Yeah, so I'm, I'm the queen mother. And I think the way that I got that title was the fact that I was probably the only one doing brioche. So, yeah, if you're the only one, you're the queen. <laughs> and that, was, that started years ago. I mean, it started in 2005. Mm -hmm. And um, I've pretty much done nothing but brioche since then. So, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm the queen mother. Okay, who else is in this monarchy? I mean, you oh, know. Well, <laughs> West is probably the king. Right. Yeah. And uh, Stephen used to be my neighbor. And so he would come over to my house. He would always ask, you know, if I was busy at 6 o'clock in the evening. And why well, would you like to come over for dinner, Stephen? Yes, of course. And, uh, yeah, we would talk. We'd talk. The thing about Stephen is he knows a whole lot about yarn. He remembers yarn names. And so he'd ask what I was doing, and I'd show him a couple of projects, and he'd go, oh, yes, this is shepherd's yarn. I'm like, it is? And, oh, you're right. I mean, I have no memory of that whatsoever, but I remember stitch patterns and things. So I'd say, oh, yeah, that's a so-and-so stitch pattern. He's like, oh, yeah, well, whatever. So we could bounce off of each other quite a bit. But uh, he took one of my first brioche classes, 
And I mean, most of the time, people in my class make something about, you see this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. About three inches by about five inches, you know, a little sample. Well, by the time he left the class, he was, he'd already made the sample and he had started on a scarf and he was about, you know, 12 inches going into the scarf. And uh, yeah, he's just one person that's really gotten attracted mm. to brioche and can't mm. seem to stop. But that does happen. It's a very yeah. attractive stitch to me. It's addictive. Yeah. They'll have to make like a Netflix series like The Crown. You bet. But, <laughs> but for the brioche dynasty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't know how. It'd be interesting for about 15 minutes. And then, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I want to get back to my knitting. Yeah. <laughs> well, back to you then. Uh, um, what's been your journey, sort of your early starts with knitting and how you sort of progressed uh, uh, yeah, to well, design Yeah, I was taught how to knit by my mother when I was very, very young. And I never stopped. You know, I didn't have this period where I, you know, I quit until I was 20. No, I always knit, always. And I went, I got a degree in art education, and then I went to further my education because I would, after I got a degree in art education, I was teaching children. I had 1,100 different children a week. I was a traveling art teacher. And so I came home every day in my early 20s with a headache. And I thought there has to be a better life than this. I mean, it was wonderful, it was a wonderful experience, but I really, I did it for three years and I needed to get a higher education so that I didn't have to do that for the rest of my life. So I went to textile art school in Berkeley, California. And so I actually have a Master of Fine Arts degree in Shibori which is Japanese tie-dye. So I have a master's degree in Japanese tie-dye. That might be, I might be the only one. <laughs> and then I moved to Amsterdam, the Netherlands, and I've been living there for the last 40 years. And it was in Amsterdam, I was working as a graphic designer, um, and there was a young man that used to walk by the one studio that I was working at quite a bit. And he had on a two-colored brioche sweater. And like I said, I've always been knitting, but I'd never seen this stitch. Or I couldn't recognize it from where I was sitting. And so he came by every day at 11 o'clock. I knew he'd be coming by. I, you know, wait at the door. I'd run out and I'd try to look at the stitch and recognize it because it was before <laughs> iPhone. So you guys don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, and I mean, I, I recognized the stitch. I went back to my apartment. I looked it up. I found it in Barbara G. Walker's uh, knitting one of her Bibles. And... I couldn't figure out what in the world she was talking about how to make it. And so I went to my local yarn shop in Amsterdam and Mimi, who owned the yarn shop, said, well, that's the brioche stitch. And it's a very, very common stitch all over Europe, not necessarily in England, but mm. in continental Europe, in Germany especially, and the Scandinavian countries. It's a stitch that they learn in grade school. And uh, a lot of you might know it. Well, if you would take the brioche stitch, you can work it four different ways, more or less. You can brioche knit and slip one yarn over. You can brioche purl and slip one yarn over. You can knit one, knit one below. Or you can purl one, purl one below. Make four scarves using those four different techniques and you have, in the end, four scarves that are exactly the same. Except the tension's a little different. But the technique of knitting one below is the same sort of technique as if you slip a stitch and you carry the yarn over instead of carrying it across the front or the back. And so the stitch at the end is exactly the same. Oh, okay, because yeah, I, I I've done the knit one below yeah. quite a lot. <laughs> and I always thought of it as like um, cheating brioche. No, 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 no. It's, <laughs> it actually has, well, according to Barbara G. Walker, uh -huh. it's the fisherman's rib. Yeah, yeah that's what yeah, I always thought yeah. of it as. But the end yeah. result is the same. Yeah, it's just you get there a different 
in a different way. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Curious to know how much the audience, how many people in the audience have tried brioche or brioche pans. Is it good? Okay. It's at least 50%. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a lovely yeah, there we go. <laughs> There's a lady wearing a cow. It's great. Yeah. Evidence. Very good. So I suppose brioche is sort of, well, we're talking about it now. Obviously, you guys are fans, but it's had somewhat of a revival uh, recently. What do you think it's like, what is it about it that's captured designers' imagination? Well, I, I, you know, you work with two, most of the time, you work with two colors. And it's a very easy way to work with two colors. You know, the thing about the brioche stitch, everybody's rather intimidated at first. Like, I mean, when I walk into my class, you know, it's like everybody's shivering because, oh my gosh, I'm going to try to do the brioche stitch. And, I mean, it is, it's a challenge at the beginning, but once you've got it down, it's one of the most relaxing, soothing, uh, rhythmic stitches to knit. I mean, if there's a rhythm because it's, it's, it's two stitches, so there's like a cadence that kind of goes with working the stitch. And it becomes very, very relaxing and uh, a wonderful, wonderful stitch to knit. And I think that that's part of it, is that if you start to do this stitch, it's really fun. And I mean, the thing is, this stitch has never really been explored. It's never been developed. And so it's still in its development. Mm. And so if you apply all of the normal sort of, like you can make brioche lace. You can combine it with double knitting or garter stitch or linen stitch. You know, you can combine it with regular knitting. You can slip that stitch and give it a yarn over. You can do that a couple of times, that same stitch. And then you knit it and work it all together, and then it's called a tuck stitch. But I mean, the possibilities are absolutely endless. And I think that there are still just so many people experimenting with it, and that's what makes it fun. You know, I was a knitter that had been knitting for 50 years when I found this stitch, more or less. And I was rather bored with knitting. And I found a stitch and I started, yeah, well, if you apply this and this, and if you do that, I mean, you could apply all of these other knitting techniques to it. And you have no idea what the end result will be because nobody's done it before, kind of. So there's still, it's the exploration thing, I think, that people like so much about it. So I guess if you think about um, knitting as combinations of mostly knit and purl stitches, obviously, you know, get your yarn overs and increases and decreases, and then brioches. Another a whole different, that. yeah. And you know, brioche, it's in a way, it's like double knitting, it's mm. two layers mm -hmm. of fabric, except that they are connected because of this yarn over, yeah, that does connect the two layers. But so, you, you have twice as much that you can work on, twice as many surfaces. You know, you can make increases on one and decreases on the other, you can put them both on one side, and uh, so because of that as well, mm -hmm. you've doubled the amount of experimentation you can do. Mm. So uh, you mentioned earlier about um, being a graphic designer, sort of alongside the knitting that you were doing. How's that sort of informed your design work and the way that you knit? Um, I, th you know, the thing about the brioche stitch that is so uh, one of the things that's so attractive is that these really strong columns, these you know uh, vertical lines that uh, go up and down of strong color. And so when you make an increase, what you do is you take one of those lines and you split it. And then all of a sudden your eye is carried up that line and then it's split so your, your eye is carried elsewhere. If you make a decrease, you, you end the line. You know, and so by drawing lines and, you know, you are more or less drawing in a way, you know, and your eye is just really attracted to the, the decreases and the increases and just the movement that's made. And I think with graphic design, also, you, you use black and white a lot in graphic design. You use it in brioche, if you want strong drama, you use black and white or dark and a light color. 
and we used a lot of lines in graphic design. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's just, it's logical that, you know, they're both very attractive to me. Yeah. Yeah. And letter types too. Letter type, I've always been very interested in letter types as well. And that's also just lines, series of lines that, you know, go across, come up and down, they cross over, whatever. And yeah, it's all, to me, it's all kind of the same. Yeah. Yeah. Does that yeah. feed into sort of, do you work from charts then if you're like designing or like? Absolutely. Yeah. Everything I do is with charts. And when I have to write out the chart, it's like, <laughs> it's like my, you know, don't I have to have another cup of coffee? Don't I have to go shopping? Don't I have to do anything? No. But it's worth it in the end, okay? Yeah, no, yeah. it is. I mean, I do know that not everybody learns the same way and not everybody wants to read a knitting pattern the same mm. way. You do need, I think you need to chart things and write them out. Mm -hmm. You need to make them as logical as possible. Plus, if you chart it and you write it out, if for some reason someone is confused, they don't get it, perhaps by reading it or by looking at the chart, it becomes more evident. And then I don't get so many emails about, what do you mean by stitch number 12 in row three of that 300 pattern back there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what was sort of the process behind that? If we take that for an example then, sort of, do you start with the sort of the more graphic lines that you want to create or is it? Well, um, this is, I'm wearing a cow from my second book. And I've, I've written three books on brioche knitting. The very first one was called Knitting Brioche. And when I wrote that book, I, you know, I thought this is going to be the only book ever on brioche. And there was no predecessor. So I was having to invent symbols mm. and, and term, terminology and uh, describe things, trying to make it, you know, make sense and all that. And so I put as much sort of information in that book as I could because I really assumed, I figured I was lucky that they even printed it because I went to several publishers and said, I want to print this book about this stitch. You know, like what, three pages, you know? <laughs> and I said, no, 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 you know, it'll be a book. And finally a publisher, a, one of, a, a woman took one of my classes and she came up to me and said, would you like to publish a book? And I'm like, oh, what do you know? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so that first book, uh, Knitting Brioche, uh, has, I've changed this, the terminology since that book, and I've changed the way that I chart things since that book. And those changes came about in the second book called Knitting Fresh Brioche. And it was in Knitting Fresh Brioche that I, I just took two-color brioche and I just put in increases and decreases. And so I would just take a plain brioche chart and I'd just paste in, I'll put three increases here and four decreases, or three decreases here, and then I knit it. And I'll move that around. And of course, while I'm knitting that one, I think, oh yeah, but if I would have put the decrease over here, you know, this would probably happen. But I couldn't really tell what would happen right. until I knit it, of course. And a lot of things I knit, they were really bad. You know, <laughs> okay, that didn't work. But a lot of things I knit, and I was like, oh my heavens, this is really beautiful. Oh, and you know, the you get these edges, scalloped edges. This one doesn't have too much of one, but I mean, you get edges that just scallop up and down because brioche is a, a two-stitch pattern. You can't really, you can't do it with one stitch. You have to have these pairs of stitches. And so to make a decrease, you have to decrease two. To make an increase, you increase two. So you're really forcing the fabric to move. When you decrease, the fabric comes in, and then you increase, and the fabric comes out. So you have a lot of undulations that go on. So a lot of the scarves just have a natural undulating line on the side and on the bottom and on the top and that's just sort of a freebie that happened <laughs> yeah well I was gonna you mentioned about um, inventing abbreviations for your 
first book and then changing them. And I know that you have, you know, your own system of abbreviations and, and uh, symbols that you use for charts for your brioche. Yeah. What, how did you go about developing those? Oh, I mean, everybody wants a new symbol in knitting. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but I wrote an article about the brioche stitch in 1992 for Vogue Knitting Magazine. When you slip a stitch and you carry the yarn over, you know, what a lot of people, what Barbara G. Walker just says is you knit a stitch, I'm trying to think how she said it, you bring the yarn forward and then you slip the stitch and then you make a yarn over. And what that causes people to do is they want to wrap it around and around the needle again. Mm. And that's not what you do. And then she said, you've got a stitch that has this little shawl, a yarn over shawl, and she says knit two together. And to me, this shawl, stitch, the stitch in its shawl, that's one stitch. And it needs to be one stitch because if you're going to make decreases, you'll have two stitches that have yarn overs and you'll have one in the middle that doesn't. So you want to decrease this down to one stitch. Does that mean you knit five together? It started to get too confusing with these yarn overs. So I wanted to make a brioche knit where you, that means that you knit the stitch and the yarn over together. And then I wanted to make this slip stitch with the yarn over. I wanted to give that a symbol as well. And the magazine, Vogue Knitting, didn't want to do it. Of course. I mean, you know, because then they have to explain it to everybody. And it's like, yeah, well, you just put a little explanation in. No, 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 no. And I'm try I don't think, I think they used the brioche knit symbol. Okay. They could have done that in 1992. But then I didn't do any, any more brioche until actually 2005. And... Interweave Knits magazine asked me to more or less write that same article just about the brioche stitch and make a sweater. And it was there that I said, look, if I'm going to do this, you've got to use these new symbols. And they did that hesitantly. They didn't want to, but they did it. And then since then, I've just sort of carried on with that. And, I, and I've always, in all my books or patterns or whatever, I really want people that we all use the same symbols for brioche. So there's any confusion about it. You know, and because there's enough confusion anyway. <laughs> and so, yeah, I think it's just because, uh, yeah, I wrote these books and put that in there, and yeah, people want to use them now. That's the symbols they want to use. I'm curious because, you know, when you said you first discovered it, and it's something that had exist, existed for such a long time, but there hadn't been this sort of more standardized way of it. So. Well, every, when I. Oh, in 2005, that's when I really became interested in the stitch. I mean, I was somebody that always wanted to write a knitting book, and I wanted to write a knitting book about borders. So I made a thousand of these, not a thousand, but I did make probably a hundred of these little colorful borders, one by one rib with one by one color, one by one rib with two by two color, whatever. I mean, I made all these little bitty samples, and then Nikki Epstein came out with the border book back in the 90s. I go, great, so throw that one. Then I was going to do a book about color. And, you know, every publisher said, well, we'll never print it because it's too expensive. Back in the 90s, it was, you know, to try to get the same red in all the pages was impossible. And so then in 2005, when I wrote that article about the brioche stitch, I thought, okay, I'll write a book about the brioche stitch. And um, so I went to museums all over Europe. I wrote to museums. I tried to find any kind of historical example. And there's just nothing. And I don't know why this stitch slipped through, but it did. And I mean, in the 70s, there was sort of a revival of uh, the brioche stitch. So I found a lot of older magazines, especially Scandinavian and German magazines, that had brioche patterns in them. 
But they were all, it was two-color brioche with the decreasing right here at the ragged sleeve. You know, that's a shaker stitch sweater in, in English or in America. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was about the extent of anything. Nobody made any kind of these, these patterns that move and things. There was nothing like that, nothing. And uh, there was another, there was one German that, that had done some cabling, you know, because brioche is beautiful when it's cabled because you get a double-sided, you get a dark on the light side, you get a cable on the dark side, you get a cable. But I mean, that was it. Mm. And I mean, I really went to museums in Estonia, in Norway, Finland, mm. you know, because that was really sold out in Germany. There were a few examples of machine knit brioche stitch because that is easy to do on a machine. So there were a few examples of that, but there was just nothing. And one color little baby sweaters, there are a few in the Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam. But yeah, so there, there just was no background and that's what made writing that first book so hard mm -hmm. because I just had nothing, there was no foundation at all. Are you any closer to now knowing the, the origins, sort of any more clues on that? Well, the first time that the brioche stitch was ever written about was uh, Miss Watts was one of these English women that made these little bitty books that people kept in their handbags, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, she talked about the brioche stitch. She named it that. And the reason that it got that name was because uh, back in the 1850s, when these, this book was written, 1840s, 1850s, uh, families would go down to Tunisia and Morocco for the summer. And they would come back with these big uh, cushions, sort of a footstool, almost cushions, that looked like a cake, that looked like a brioche. And these cushions were called a brioche. Mm -hmm. And they were made with this stitch. There we go. And so she called it the brioche stitch. Interesting. And yeah, so I mean, it, it could be that this stitch is really, uh, I mean, it has been around since 1850 mm. because I mean, she has a couple of patterns in this little book and you can get these books because it's free of um, oh, copyright, copyright yeah. you know? And so she's got one where you make one of these cushions. Well, I made one and it, it more or less sort of makes a, an oval shape, you know? And, but she, you, she had you stop and you got about halfway around. You needed to go another half, but I made it exactly like she said. I sewed it together, put the button in the middle, and it just looks like a dead potato. <laughs> I mean, it, it didn't make any sense at all, at, at all. But uh, I mean, the brioche stitch was around then. But it's so interesting that for a stitch that is not massively well documented and that hadn't been explored loads, that people were taught it at school. Yeah. in Scandinavia, you know, that it's kind yeah. of such a standard stitch yeah. in some ways and yeah. yet such a completely novel one in others. Yeah. So many people have done this stitch, but I just think they, well, okay, they do the stitch and they're done. It's like maybe the seed stitch has got all these possibilities that we don't even know about yet. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> there you go. That's an idea. Let's develop the seed stitch. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean it, it seems amazing to me that in the year 2000-whatever that... Uh, yeah, there's still some knitting that's yet to be developed. Yeah, it's very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any sort of top tips for people who are starting projects with, you know, starting project or yarn recommendations, what you look for? Well, what you really have to be careful of with brioche is uh, slippery yarns. And it's because of the structure. You know, you have a stitch that's worked and then you have a stitch that's slipped and a stitch that's worked. And that stitch that's worked if, the, if what you've made is heavy, if you've made a long rectangular scarf and it's heavy, 
you wrap it around your neck and you wear it to work. And if the yarns are slippery, like if it's 100% silk, that thing's going to be this wide by the time. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be very skinny and it's going to be very long. Okay. And I mean, if you do have a super wash, then I would suggest that you really go down in needle size, you really tighten it up because it is going to elongate. It will get longer and skinnier. Mohairs are beautiful. They work perfectly. Those are the stickiest yarns in town. You know, you can drop a stitch and two years later you can see it. <laughs> so, yeah. And another thing I should say just as a tip, and I, this is what I say in all my classes too, you know, if you make a mistake in Brio, you're in trouble. <laughs> and so, you know, the rule number one is don't make a mistake. <laughs> But no, if you make a mistake in brioche, the problem is that if you try to just say untangle three stitches or something, in normal knitting, you're dealing with one thread per row. Well, with brioche, you're dealing with two, you know, say a light color and a dark color, and which stitch gets this yarn over, which, you know, it, it can get very, very messy and frustrating. If you make a mistake, just very, very carefully the next day, uh, unravel it if you need to unravel because say you've forgotten increases and decreases and then you want to just the row before the mistake you want to pick it up on a very 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 thin needle that's in general too for knitting you know pick you know if you unravel pick things up on a very very skinny needle so that you don't pull the, the following stitch out as you're picking up but just pick it up on a very very thin needle and then go back and really undo each the, the row that's got the mistakes in it just stitch by stitch by stitch. Okay, so are we on to our final, our final questions? Tom questions, yeah. Okay, you're allowed to take one yarn with you to your desert island. You can have all the colors of that particular yarn. Okay. So we're talking about one base, and like okay. so whichever thickness. So do you know which would be your uh, desert island Well, yarn? I'd have to, before I got stuck on this desert island, mm -hmm. I think I would look up who has the most colors. Okay. Like one skein of each. <laughs> And the biggest skates. <laughs> but yeah, it would definitely be a yarn that just has, like, say, the John Arbor wall. I could take that. Mm -hmm. On the desert, I'd be pretty happy for a while. There we go. Yeah. Okay, yeah. keep you going. Yeah, no problem. You could make like no a brioche problem. tent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, if people want to keep up to date with uh, your projects, where's the best place? Uh, websites and things like that? Uh, well, I have the briochestitch.com. And it's a, it's a, a website. It's a good that domain is, to have. Yeah. <laughs> it's also stayed the same for the last five years because I'm not really web savvy. You know, I got to call my daughter over sure. as she rolls her eyes. To, yeah, so I do have the brioche stitch. I also have on Instagram, actually, I'm, brioche, I'm Nancy Marchant Brioche on Instagram. And that's sort of where I put a lot of the yeah. stitches and things that I'm working on. Lovely. So that's, and I'm brioche on Ravelry. Excellent. Yeah. So everyone can go forth and brioche now. Yeah. 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 Great. Well, thanks everyone for coming. And, and thank, thank you again yeah. to, yeah. to Nancy. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy the festival. Yeah. yeah. As you may be able to tell, we're no longer at Unravel. We are actually in a car 
in a van even, uh, back from Unravel, this uh, last segment, we thought, why not crawl it in the car? That'd be really fun, didn't we? <laughs> we certainly did. So it's like drive time with Sophie and Lydia. Uh, super safe, just before anyone worries about that. Um, Trugging along. And uh, yeah, we thought we'd do a top three things to do in cars. Indeed, we're somewhere between Unravel and London right now, near Malden Junction, as it happens. Picture the scene. Uh, so, <laughs> have you got your top three ready? Certainly have. So yes, top three things to do in cars or vans. Not really been in any lorries, but I imagine it's all quite similar for fun times. Okay, so um, number three, I have sing um, a very particular song, which is There's a Hole in My Bucket. It's my favourite thing to do in cars. It's really annoying for other people. I was going to say, I'm glad we haven't started that yet. Because <laughs> as everybody knows, it um, once you get to the end of that song, you get to start it all over again. Because you find out how there's a ho- you you get to the point where there's a hole in the bucket. You need the bucket for something else. But there's a hole in your bucket. You have to sing it all over again. It's from broken Britain, you know. <laughs> no one has a bucket these days. <laughs> oh my God, it's getting dark already. Well, yeah, it's about... It's, well, it's gone six. Oh. <laughs> hey. Hey. Um, so that's number three from Lydia Gluck. Um, at number two, I have the number plate game, which we used to play as a family, which is when you have to make short, silly uh, sentences would be a strong word, but little kind of basically use the last three letters of the number plate. So in the UK, number plates have three letters on the end. You use those to create amusing little situation sentences. So we have D M Y that's just gone past us. Dogs might yap. That's just a fact. There we go. Have <laughs> that one for free. That's a fact. <laughs> um, so that was a game we used to play a lot. And my, I don't know actually because I feel like my three and number one are quite similar. They both involve singing. Because my number one thing to do in cars is just sing as loud as you can, either along to the radio or just sing a fun song. Not an annoying song. That's at number three. This is number one. Number one thing to do, sing your little heart out. How about you, Soph? What's your top three car activities? So when I was thinking about this, uh, number three, I have to say having a little sleepy. (laughs) Uh, Says the passenger. Well, no, I'm on... on, uh, direction of duty That's but I think there's something magical about falling asleep in a car and then waking up somewhere else you're just taunting me because I can't sleep in cars you've got to get in the zone Liz <laughs> just frowning. All right, so that's not really fun. That's not really like a, a, a communal activity or anything in the car, like singing. Uh, what was my number two? Oh, number two, I was going to say knit. Hey, okay, that's on topic. Well done. That's on topic. I'll allow that. Uh, so yeah, knitting in cars. Don't get sick in cars. That's Why good. Why did I say knitting? Because you've you, you've been you've been saturated with a knitting festival. That's true. Uh, yeah. Do you get car sick? Um, uh, not really. It's the hard-hitting journalism of today's <laughs> podcast. Do you get car sick? Do you get car sick, Sophie? No, but my sister does. <laughs> I was just saying she likes reading in cars. Um, okay, I can't so- read in cars. That's too much. Podcasts. Can I do my top three again? Alright. <laughs> no, I'm only joking. But I would like to replace singing There's a Hole in My Pocket. Because <laughs> I just wanted to mention that song, basically, because it's fun and annoying. 
I'm going to replace that with listen to podcasts. Okay. Uh, my top three, my top one is going to be right singing along to the radio. I remember when I got my first car. I was so happy. I had a little tape player, so that dates the car. Oh, my sister made me a mixtape, two mixtapes. Um, so singing along to the car, uh, radio, and then within that, the game we used to play a lot. Turn it down at a certain point in the song. You had to sing and be at the right point with your lyrics. Oh, like on um, what's the radio? Portion? Sorry, I haven't a clue. Yes, I'm sorry. Um, I think we're gonna have to turn left in a minute, so we might have to pause the recording. <laughs> but we're like half a mile off. We're just gonna be turning left. We're on to uh, Kingston Vale. Still the A3. <laughs> Very exciting for everyone. Keep this in. Anyway, maybe we should sign off. Uh, Lydia's slowing down to a charming 40. And, uh, well, thanks for joining us in the car. <laughs> Top three gears. <laughs> My favourite is four. <laughs> All right, well, we'll see you next podcast, guys. We love you. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Podcast is produced by Lydia Gluck and Sophie Scott, with lots of help from Eli Block, who created the original music for this show. For more Eli-related music and some hot new singles, go to goodgirlandthebadtimes.com. Thanks as always to Megan Fernandez, co-creator and editor of Pom Pom Coursely. And thanks also to lovely Amy, who minded the stand while we did this recording. Thanks, uh-huh. Amy. And the lovely Gail. Thanks to our interviewees, that's right, plural, John Arbon and Nancy Marchant. And thanks again to uh, the Maltings for taking good care of us and setting up the environment in which we could do our lovely live interviews. Thank you to our sponsors at the NME. Don't forget to enter the competition. And a big thank you, as always, to all you guys, you pom-pom buyers, subscribers and listeners. And people who visit stores. Oh yeah, and people who <laughs> visit festivals and come say hi and bring us mini eggs. Um, you can buy your copy of the magazine and subscribe to at our online shop, www.pompommag.com forward slash shop. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and why not leave a review? Send any feedback or ideas to podcast at pompommag.com. Don't forget to keep in touch with us via the podcast group on the Pom Pom Ravelry Forum.